this morning, we are going to be uh, concluding our series that we've been going through over the course of the last seven or eight weeks on women in the Bible, and we are going to be discussing a story and a character that we find in John, the fourth chapter. If you would grab a Bible and turn to John, the fourth chapter. We are going to read the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. John, the fourth chapter, starting in the third verse. He, Jesus, left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, from whence then hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not. Neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband. In that thou sayest truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto Him, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When He is come, He will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am Him. And upon this, <clears throat> upon this came His disciples, and marveled that he talked with this woman, yet no man <clears throat> said, What seekest thou? 
Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto the men, Come, see a man which told me all things ever that I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. And then skip down to verse 39. It says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that I ever did. Like I mentioned, today we come to the conclusion of our series on women in the Bible. And in this series we have seen over and over again the influence and the importance that women have had in carrying out God's plan and God's will for His people. We heard Brad talk about Priscilla and this influential figure in the early church that stood by her husband and helped the early church in multiple ways. Brian taught us about the the extraordinary faith of the prostitute Rahab. Greg spoke about Abigail and her diplomacy and humility and wisdom. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and Miriam and Esther that Sean and Anthony and Brent spoke about. And all of these stories were about these famous figures that we read about in the Scriptures and how they played an important role in God's kingdom. And I pray that we've all been edified and and built up and and have benefited by learning about these women. And of course, the Word of God is full of these stories of of these great sort of heroes of of faith. In fact, just this past Sunday afternoon, Sammy uh, spoke about Hebrews 11 and the the list of the the heroes of faith that we read about there. And and that, that list included some women that we didn't include in this series. These gigantic heroes of faith. And I love these types of stories. I love reading about the stories of the the people that we find in in the Scripture. These these gigantic, like I said, heroes of faith. But I, I guess I can't speak for you and I don't know about you. But often when I hear these stories about these heroes of faith. And I hear about these famous people that did all these great things and these these great stories of this tremendous faith that they displayed, often I find myself, rather than thinking, you know what, that that sounds like me. That that sounds just like me. I'm sure I would react just the same way if I was in that situation. I would do the exact same thing as, as that person. Often what I find myself thinking is, I don't, I don't know if I measure up to that person. I don't know if I would react that same way as that person. I don't know if I could do that or be considered some great hero of faith. But the beautiful thing about God and His Word is that the Word of God isn't just the story of flawless people that did great things for the Lord. It's the story, as we've mentioned several times throughout this this series, the Word of God is the story of the broken and flawed people that God chose to help carry out His will. It's the story of the jars of clay that we learned about this past Wednesday night that this treasure of the Gospel has been given to. It's the story of Bathsheba Someone who committed adultery with David and lost a child because of it. Someone with obvious flaws and sin, yet someone who would be in the lineage of Christ. Someone who Solomon probably was writing about 
when he was describing the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. It's the story of Mary Magdalene, someone who had been troubled, yet Jesus healed her and became one of his most devout disciples. It's also the story of someone that we don't even know their name. Someone who for all of her life toiled in obscurity. Dealing with the problems and the headaches and the heartaches of life. Broken relationships. Bad decisions. Doesn't that sound like our lives sometimes? And that's why I want to spend some time this morning talking about this Samaritan woman at the well that we read about a moment ago. And notice four truths from this conversation that she has with Jesus. To set the stage, let's take a step back and look at the context of this story. This is very early in in Jesus' public ministry. Jesus had been baptized by John. He had begun his public ministry. He had begun to perform miracles uh, in the area. He turned the water into wine. and, and, And he had this late night conversation with Nicodemus that we read about in John the third chapter. And shortly after this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus had begun to gain some notoriety and some fame, or maybe infamy is a better way to put it, in in the area of Judea. So he and his disciples decide that they're going to get out of town and they head towards Galilee. And rather than taking the traditional sort of circuitous route to get to Galilee, Jesus takes a more direct route through Samaria. In one hot, sunny afternoon, Jesus finds himself outside the town of Sychar. It's about 30 miles north of Jerusalem. And it's about the sixth hour, it says. That means it's about noon. Jesus sends his disciples into town to buy supplies, to, to, to buy food. And Jesus sits down at Jacob's well. He's alone and he sees this woman approaching. And as she arrives at the well with her water pots, Jesus looks at her and he asks for a simple favor. He asks her, can, can I have something to drink? Can you get me some water? And this simple request sparks a conversation that will not only change the life of this woman, but it will change the lives of the people that live in that town. And not only the people that live in that town, but that it will reveal truths that are still changing lives 2,000 years later. So for the rest of our time this morning, like I said, I want to look at this Samaritan woman and look at this conversation that she has with Jesus this hot, sunny afternoon. And I want for us to notice four truths, and especially for, for our women here this morning, notice four truths that we find about this woman in this conversation that she has with Jesus. The first one of those truths is that God sees your value even when others don't. God sees your value even when others don't. Think for a moment about this person that Jesus is asking for a drink of water from. First, she is a Samaritan. She was a race, 
and an ethnic background that Jews for centuries had looked down on as inferior. And this hatred and this animosity between Jews and Samaritans was especially deep-seated. This hatred goes all the way back to when the Jews were, were defeated and carried away by the Assyrians. And, and it's, there's a long story about how the, the, eventually the, the, the people that inhabited that land, they were uh, sort of, there was, there was inhabitants of that land, and eventually the Assyrians sent some Jewish priests back to, to help sort of uh, help with the land and, and teach them a little bit. And so the, the people that lived there had... They, they had the Jewish scriptures, the Pentateuch, and so they believed in the first five books of the Bible, but they, they didn't adopt everything, and so it was sort of this mixture between idolatry and, and their past with, with the Jewish religion, and the Jews eventually come back into that area, and they want to rebuild the temple, and the, the, the Samaritans want to help rebuild the temple, but the Jews tell them, we don't, we don't need people like you helping us, and that infuriated them the Samaritans, and caused all this animosity and hatred that that grew and spiraled and and multiplied in years and years and decades and centuries past, and the racism and the hatred grew and grew and grew between these people. And it got to the point where the Jews refused to have any social dealings or any contact with the Samaritans. Now they would, of course, they would, they would have business dealings with them. They would take their money. They would sell stuff to them if they could make some money. But they wouldn't have any sort of social contact with them, much less sharing a cup of water with them. It was bad enough, remember, that I mentioned earlier that Jesus took an unusual route when traveling from Judea to Galilee. The normal route that the Jews would take would be the the long way around the barn. They would go way out of their way, twice as far, just so they didn't have to travel through Samaria. That's why you see the surprise in this woman's voice when she said back in John, the the fourth chapter and the ninth verse, you know, why are you, a, a Jewish man, talking to me, a Samaritan woman? She's surprised that a Jewish man would even speak to her. She, I'm sure, had been confronted with racism and hatred her whole life. So why is this woman, or why is this this man that's speaking to this woman any different? But Jesus didn't take the same racist views that other people took. He saw the value in this Samaritan, even when others didn't. And I pray that we all both as individuals and as a congregation, follow in the steps of Jesus to see the value in all races and all people. That we teach our children that all people are created in the image of God. And that all races and ethnic backgrounds deserve our love and our respect. But in addition to the race and the ethnicity of this person that Jesus was talking to, it's important to consider how women were viewed by many people during the first century. They were viewed by many, quite literally, as second-class citizens. Somebody who was there only to cook the meals, do the chores, fulfill men's sexual desires, and, and give birth to babies. But they weren't good for much else. 
Romans often had multiple mistresses in addition to their wives. By this time, Jewish culture, Jewish men had gotten to the point that, the, that divorce was so common that a Jewish man could literally divorce his wife if she burnt his food while cooking dinner. But Jesus didn't take the prevailing views of the day about race and the value of women. He took the view that in the sight of God, we are all created in God's image. And while we have different roles and different responsibilities and different duties, we are all valuable in the sight of God. In Galatians, the third chapter, verses 26 through 29, it says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then ye are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I suppose that it's difficult or impossible for me to completely understand what you women experience or feel. But I can see how it can be frustrating. You do so much for your family. You do so much for this church. You get the kids up. You get the kids ready for school. You get breakfast ready for them. You run the family to soccer practice and basketball practice. You, you, you bring the family to church. You, you, you you take them to their friend's house, you run them around to all these things, you find time to take care of the house and, and get dinner ready and, and give the baths at night. You, you come to church and you do so much. You, you go and you visit the, you, the sick and you, and you take them food. You sit down and you talk to, to that person that's hurting or needing a, an encouraging word or might need to, to talk about God. And, and you help your husband with so much. You feel like you do so much. But does anybody really care? Does anybody really value all that you do? Let me speak candidly for a moment with you husbands and, and you kids here this morning. You need to make sure that your wife and your mom knows how valuable she is to you. And it's not just something that you should do on Mother's Day or her birthday or some special occasion. She needs to know how valuable she is to you every day. First Peter, the third chapter in the seventh verse says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Husbands, Honor your wife. Let her know how valuable she is to you. And you women here this morning, I hope that you know that you are valued by the church here at this place. I think that I can safely speak for all of the leadership when I say that we cannot do what we do without you. 
For those of us that are in the leadership, we could not serve this congregation in the way that we do without the help of our wives. And everything that this congregation does, everything that we have going on here, could not happen without the strong and dedicated and faithful women of this congregation. You are valued at this place. But more than that, I hope that you women realize and appreciate that even when no one else around you values you or appreciates you, God does. Jesus showed that He valued this Samaritan woman when no one else in her life did. And God loves you. He values you even when you feel like no one else does. Those prayers that you say for your children that no one else hears, God hears them. Those tears that you shed, God sees them. And the work that you do that no one else might say thank you for, that no one else sees or appreciates, God sees and He values and He appreciates. Just like Jesus valued and appreciated this woman at the well. The second thing that I want for us to notice and take from this conversation with the Samaritan woman is that God knows your struggles. And He wants to help you through them. God knows your struggles. And He wants to help you through them. As this conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman progresses, Jesus tells her about the living water and the source of spiritual nourishment that He provides. She doesn't quite understand the significance of what Jesus is talking about quite yet, so she says, you know what? Well, give me this, give me this water. That way I don't have to come down here to this well every day and lug these heavy water pots in the middle of the day and, and I won't be thirsty. Give me this water. Jesus looks back at her and He says, well, why don't, you, why don't you go get your husband to come down to the well? And we can talk about this some more. And she sort of stops for a second and she tells Jesus, well, you know what? I, I don't have a husband. And she isn't lying. She doesn't currently have a husband. And Jesus knows it. And He tells her, you're right, you don't have a husband right now. But you've had five husbands in the past. And the person that you're living with right now, he isn't your husband. How would you have reacted when you heard this? How would you have reacted when this Jewish stranger reminded you of all that's happened in your past? I'm sure that she didn't have to be reminded of that. You can imagine that she probably had a little bit of, rep, of a reputation. That's probably why we see this woman coming to this well at noon in the middle of the day. Most women probably went to the well in the cool of the morning to get the water for the day. But she went at noon. She's probably wanting to avoid the stairs, avoid the whispers. There she goes. Did you hear that she, she got divorced again? I wonder what happened this time. Did you hear that she's living with that guy and, and 
Yeah, even her husband. Did you hear what she's up to now? So rather than get the water in the cool of the morning, like I said, and, and have to deal with all those other people and their condescending looks and their whispers, she'd rather lug those heavy jars of water in the hottest part of the day. This woman hadn't had an easy life. She'd been married five times. Some of those marriages might have ended for no fault of her own. One or two of those husbands, we, we don't know the specifics of, of how those marriages ended. One or two of those marriages might have ended because her husband died. One or two of those might have divorced her for no good reason at all. Maybe she burned their dinner. Maybe she had made mistakes, though. Maybe she had done something that caused the men to divorce her. For whatever reason, this woman knows the pain of broken relationships. And she knows the guilt of sin in her life. She was in, like I said, a relationship now living with a man that wasn't her husband. And notice two things. One, Jesus was aware of everything that had happened in her life. He knew, without her saying a word, about the trouble and the trials and yes, the sin in her life. And God knows every trial, every trouble, every tear, every heartache, and yes, again, every sin in your life. First John, the third chapter and the 20th verse says, For our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Hebrews, the fourth chapter and the 13th verse says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There is no hiding our lives from God. He knows everything. Jesus knew everything about this woman. And because of it, she was amazed. She had never seen this man, never talked to him. Yet he knew everything about her. And, he's, and, and she says, you must be a prophet. I perceive that thou art a prophet. But the amazing thing, at least to me and probably to this woman, was the second thing. And that is that, yes, Jesus knew everything about her, knew everything about her struggles, knew everything about her sin, but he still wanted to talk to her. He still wanted to have this relationship with her. We've talked about how this woman was surprised that this Jewish man would even sit down and have a cup of water with this Samaritan woman. And this was even before she knew that he knew everything that she had ever done. She knew the sting of rejection her whole life. So you can imagine how her heart must have felt when this Jesus didn't look down on her, didn't condemn her, didn't turn his back on her. And Jesus does the same for you. Jesus doesn't ignore the sin in your life. But He loves you enough to want to fix the sin in your life. Jesus came not to call the righteous, but He came to seek and to save the lost. And He did that for this Samaritan woman. And He does that for you today. And that leads us to the third thing that I want for us to notice about this Samaritan woman. 
And that is that God knows your needs even more than you do. God knows your needs even more than you do. Remember again that Jesus offered this woman a source of water that that would never run out, never run dry. That would be this this source of water that would forever quench her thirst. And she she replies, well, well, give me that. I, I need that. I need this magical water that I, that I won't have to drag these heavy buckets down here every day and lug them back to the house. Little did she know that what she actually needed was a source of spiritual nourishment, spiritual refreshing. She needed the living water of Jesus Christ. Later in the conversation, after she realizes that Jesus must be some sort of prophet, she decides to ask Jesus a question. She thinks that she needs Jesus to clear up this religious controversy that she'd been confronted with all of her life. See, the Samaritans thought that you needed to go to Mount Gerizim to worship God. And the Jews thought you had to go to Jerusalem and to the temple to worship God. And the Samaritan woman wanted this prophet that told her everything that she had ever done. She wanted him to settle this matter once and for all. She needed to know. And so Jesus tells her there in John, the fourth chapter, in the 21st verse. He says, and we'll read this again, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus provides this woman not with the the answer that she was looking for. He doesn't say, well, the the Samaritans were right. You need to go to Mount Gerizim. He, He doesn't say, well, the Jews are right. You need to go to Jerusalem. You need to go to the temple to worship. He says that God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus knew this woman's need for truth and direction and God's will, and He provided that. So often we think that we know what we need. I think about my seven-year-old son. He thinks that he needs a lot of things. John comes up to me and he'll say, Dad, I I need a snack. Dad, I need a new toy. I need a new game. Dad, I need you to come play with me. I need you to... I need you to to go do this or do that. And some of those things are needs. But some of those things, they're wants and not needs. And so often we are like that child when it comes to God. We're like the Samaritan woman that asked Jesus for things that we think that we really need. She thought she needed this physical source of water. She thought she needed an answer to that question. But Jesus knew what she really needed. And He provided for those needs even before she realized what she really needed. And He does the same thing for us. Philippians 4 and 19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Praise God that He knows our needs even better than we do. And that He provides for every one of of those needs. 
And the last thing that I want for us to notice about this Samaritan woman in her conversation with Jesus is that God trusts you to go and to tell others about Him. God trusts you to go and tell others about Him. Despite this woman's background, despite her struggles and her, her past, despite her lack of religious understanding, Jesus did something that you might not realize. Let me ask you a question. In the Gospels, who was one of the first people that Jesus openly, publicly confirmed that He was the Messiah to? Who was the first person that we see Jesus coming out and flat out saying, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ? It wasn't the religious leaders of the day. He didn't go to the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes and come out this early in his ministry and say, I'm the Messiah, I'm here. He had the opportunity to do that just the chapter before when he talked to, to Nicodemus. And he wasn't that clear when he was talking to Nicodemus. He certainly didn't go to Rome and tell them that. It was this Samaritan woman at the well. She was one of the first people that Jesus comes out and says, that's me. I am the Messiah. That person that you've looking, you're looking for, that Messiah that you just mentioned, that's me. I'm Him. And how does she react to that? John says that she leaves her water pot. Her water pot. She gets up and she runs back to town. She runs back to the men in the, in the town and she says, look, there's this man down there at the well. He told me everything that I ever did. He must be the Messiah. That's Him. Later on in the chapter, it says that Jesus ended up staying there in the town for a couple of days. And many of the people in the town believed in Jesus because of what this woman said. One of the very first people to go and tell others about the good news of the Messiah was this Samaritan woman. This Samaritan woman who had the checkered past and the broken relationships and the imperfect understanding of the will of God. And because of her willingness to tell others about Jesus, others believed and others followed Him. You women and you girls here this morning, you have an opportunity to tell others about Jesus, to tell others about the will of God. Now that responsibility won't be up here on the pulpit during a worship service. And it, might, it won't be in the role of an elder or a deacon of this congregation. But that doesn't mean that you don't have the opportunity, that you don't have the responsibility to tell others about their Savior. In Brad's lesson a few weeks ago, he talked about Aquila and Priscilla and how they taught Apollos in the Word of God more perfectly. And now we see this Samaritan woman going and telling others about Jesus. But what about you? Are you telling others about Jesus? Are you telling others about this Savior that came to this world that provided a remedy for the sin in your life? This Messiah that knows everything about you, knows you better than you know yourself, yet He still loves you and provides for you. Are you telling your kids about Jesus? Are you teaching them about their Savior? Are you telling others around you about Him? Are you telling your friends and your family, people that you come in contact with, people that need you to teach them in their lives, are you telling them about Jesus? 
I hope you are. Because the world needs Jesus. The world doesn't need our worldly wisdom on how to fix the broken issues and the broken things in their life. I, on my own, can't fix someone's sin. I, on my own, can't fix someone's broken life and their broken relationships and their broken homes. But Jesus can. And we need to be telling others about that. And that responsibility doesn't just fall on the elders of this congregation. That responsibility doesn't fall just on the deacons of this congregation. That responsibility falls on all of us as part of this congregation. This Samaritan woman took that responsibility and she went and people believed on Jesus because of her. May we follow that example of this person. Jesus came into her life and it changed her life. And Jesus can change your life today. Perhaps you've never knelt before Jesus and given your life to Him, never submitted to Him in baptism. We'd be happy to do that this morning. The Lord wants you to submit to Him, to allow your faith to move Him, to move you to submit to Him, to allow your faith to move you to repent of your sins and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Perhaps you've never done that this morning. We'd be happy to do that. Perhaps you are dealing with the headaches and the troubles and the trials and the the circumstances of life. You're dealing with some of these things that this Samaritan woman was dealing with in her life. And you like the prayers of the church. We'd be happy to do that for you also. If there's anything we can do for you, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.